Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. You know, I was in the gym. It should be obvious to you that I spend a lot of time there. Oh, no. <laughs> Just Jacob. And uh, one of the regulars that are there and you know, and, and, and let me just pause simply to say, how many of you know that when you live an intentionally missional life, which is what you signed up for when you said yes to Jesus, going to the sa- patroning the same places means you have opportunity to build some kind of relationship and some kind of a bridge for the gospel, right? Yeah. How many of you know that's actually the life that Jesus called you to? It's not to go to the same place for the rest of your life and to be familiar with those people and wave and smile and hope that they like you. It's to wave and smile and hope and pray to God that He gives you an opportunity and that He, by His Spirit, would lead you into an opportunity because He said that we're required to take advantage of opportunities with strangers. And I was talking with this gal. She was watching a video actually on her phone, which is what most amazing good gym people do. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And, and the video, uh, her husband actually had sent her this video, and she was really taken back by it, you know, and, and I happened to be going for the piece of equipment that, that she was on, so I was in her area when she was kind of having this experience, and she shows me her phone, and on her phone is this guy who had to have weighed 500 pounds, and, I, and my initial thought was, oh, no, I, you know, she's going to probably say something that you know, that I'm not going to be too thrilled with about this, you know. You ever have one of these kind of moments, you know? And that's okay. It just means it's a setup and I get an opportunity, right? But instead of the worst case scenario that I initially envisioned, she said, my husband just sent me over and this guy is so inspiring. He is several hundred pounds. And, and then she shows me another picture of the guy where his skin's falling off of him because he lost several hundred pounds. And you know, and, and she was just like, she's like, and I'm in here, and she's like, I'm like, like 15 minutes on the treadmill, and I feel like death. You're like, <laughs> I'm going to die. You know, and you, you, have you ever been inspired by a story like that? Where you, you see these folks, it's like, ha, let me just ask you this, I guess. Has anybody in here ever tried to lose weight? <laughs> gotcha, right? I mean, on, on, <laughs> probably on some level, however big or small, we've all experienced that on some level. Was it easy? That's the question. You know, what, was it easy? No, we wish we could all go talk to our 25-year-old self and say, son, this is the opportunity right now to change the course of your life because once you go there with ice cream and potato chips, it's pretty tough to get back, right? You know, we all want to have that conversation with that guy or gal. You know, we, we know how difficult that is. And so we, when we see somebody who is several hundred pounds, you understand that, 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 that every decision in their life has contributed to that result, you know, and, and you understand that for them to change the, the process or the course of events that they've gone down in their life, of course, we're assuming there's not a massive medical contribution, but, you know, aside from that, we're, we, we, we know that for them to turn the corner, it's going to be painstaking. Is that fair to say? It, 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 just to even move, to get from the, like, the sanctuary to the car and the parking lot is already a huge chore for somebody who's 500 pounds. 
Like, like moving at all is cumbersome. In fact, their whole life begins to center around this reality because they can't fit into the same spots they used to fit into. So they have to begin to think differently and their whole identity begins to shift around this present reality. It's very, very difficult for these people to move, to get where they need to be, to live life let alone to get on a treadmill and to begin to pick up weights despite everything on the inside of them that's crying out, this is misery. This is painful. This is horrible. Like, what am I doing to myself? And don't you know that the first time you go home and you wake up the next day and literally every part of you hurts and aches and there are like muscles even in your forehead that somehow were like awakened in the gym and you just don't even understand what happened to you. How many of you know in that moment it feels like it's not worth continuing? This is, it's going to take an entire life transformation to see this individual go from point A to where they end up needing to be at Z. They're going to have to change the way they think. They're going to have to change the way they think about everything. They're going to have to change the way they think about food. I'm not going to be able to go to food for comfort anymore. I have to go to food for fuel. I have to deny my flesh. I would really like to have that. And so it happens that I've not had the greatest of day, you know. So that would be very comforting to me. How many of you know if you're going to turn that corner, you have to change the way that you think? How many of you know that changing the way you think and getting different results than what you've always gotten is an incredibly difficult task? How many of you know today that if someone can go from 500 pounds to a fairly lean 200 pounds with all of the pain that it takes to do it, with all of the transformation of the way that they think that it requires, with all of the denial of self and discipline and change of behavior that it takes, then you in here today can win your battle over sin. Because the same thing that it requires of someone in that sort of position is what it requires from you and me to change our patterns of thinking and to get different results from what we got before the cross. You want the same results? Keep doing what you've been doing. But you're not going to have the life that Jesus paid for. You're going to continue to get the same results. You're going to have the same cycles. You're going to have the same pain. And you're probably always going to wake up with some sort of victim mentality, blaming someone else, when spiritually, quite frankly, you should have just gone to the gym and killed yourself and denied yourself and pressed into new behaviors and disciplines and new patterns of thinking. How many of you know this morning, though, the difference is that you're not alone? What do I mean by that? Well, I, I mean that, that a, a large percentage of these folks who have undergone this transition, do you understand that they have mustered up that level of transition and discipline in their hearts and in their minds, and most of them don't have the Holy Spirit that you have living on the inside of you? That means that they're actually doing it under their own willpower and doing so under the curse. 
with an enemy that's against them, wanting to perpetuate that lifestyle of death over them. And somehow yet they're able to get to the other side. How many of you know you have an advantage over those folks? Like you in here today, if you're born again, you're not alone. And I understand that sometimes it might feel like you are, but I'm here to tell you that from your initial yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of promise inhabited you and forever is empowering you for purpose. He's empowering you unto destiny. He's, a, he's equipping you. The Bible tells us that from that moment, we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. What does that mean? It means we no longer have an excuse. It means if that guy was able to make the transition and not a person in this room doesn't understand how incredibly difficult that was. It means if that guy can do it with his own sheer willpower and under the curse that's on his life, then I guarantee you, you can do it then I guarantee you that if you take what is readily available to you today and you muster the discipline that is available to you today because you're not even doing it on your own, he's empowering you, that you too can win the battle that you are currently facing in your life. (laughs) It's not magic. Oh boy, do we want it to be magic. Don't you wish it was the Matrix? Anybody remember the Matrix from the... 2000, early 2000s, I think. Maybe older than that now. There's a new one coming out. You know, how many of you have ever thought to yourself, man, if I could just go to sleep and God would hook me up to that machine, download jujitsu and, you know, like more self-discipline and, you know what I mean? Like, just download it. That would be amazing. But how many of you know that sometimes we get caught up in that kind of mentality as the church and we're like, but I got, I got saved. Like, how come I'm still struggling with this stuff? But because you thought it was going to be magic. No, you actually have to work. You actually have to partner with God. It's going to take work to change your mind. This is the process of sanctification. It's going, to, it's going to place a demand on you. You actually are going to have to deny your flesh just as one again in this analogy, this scenario would be required to do. You have to change the way that you think. There's a demand being placed on you. But again, I want to reiterate you, you're not having to do it on your own. <laughs> you have an onboard guide and structure and one who is empowering you for success. That means that you can do it. More than that, it means we don't have an excuse not to. And as we started out this morning, I would submit further, and he's worthy of it. He's worthy of that level of pursuit. He's worthy of me laying down myself to pick up him. He's worthy of me saying, that looks really comfortable. I would really like to do that but I'm willing to say no to that for a better thing. I'm willing to say more. I'm willing to say no to that for a superior thing. But that doesn't seem very comfortable. You know what? Sometimes it may not be. But we have an eternity after this. And what I do now affects that eternity. How many of you know that? We left off in our series... Oh, you know what? I forgot about this beautiful scripture. Let's go ahead and do it. First Corinthians chapter 9. So I was processing this. It reminded me of something the Apostle Paul said, and it's this. It says, And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. 
They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, we run in such a way as is not without aim. We, we box in such a way as not beating the air. In other words, it's not a worthless activity. It's unto something, but we, we, I buffet my body, and I think it's fascinating how he uses the body as analogy continually in his speech. I buffet my body, and I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Man, the guy on the treadmill losing a few hundred pounds is very likely doing it for a perishable wreath. We're doing it for the imperishable. He was able to do it. What we have as a prize, as a goal, as a destiny, as an end result, is infinitely more powerful, infinitely more important, infinitely more significant than anything else you could ever pursue in your life. You can do this. Are you with me? You can do this. Three weeks ago, or rather, yeah, three weeks ago, we ended in Romans chapter 7. We talked about the wrestling match that the Apostle Paul was having, uh, but we, exp- we really largely categorized it as the wrestling match he was having with sin and his old nature prior to the cross, prior to Christ, or we could say in his context, under the law. Okay, So when he was actually still a slave to sin, he says this as he ends the chapter, verse 24. says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then he answers the question, thanks be to God, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, he's describing again his, this dilemma before Christ. On the one hand, I myself... With my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then we shift into chapter 8. In in chapter 8 itself, it it is a shift because when we were in chapter 7, we were talking about then, right? If you look at the context, he's referring to again, then, at that time before the cross, at that time before I met Jesus, at that time before I was... prone to righteousness at that time when I was still a slave to sin. But then he starts chapter 8 with, but now, right? But now, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we have taken a great shift out of what was, and now we're in present time. You've got to see that in the scripture. Otherwise, you'll get confused as so many other believers are, and you will apply the flawed, fatal pre-cross logic to your post-cross experience, and you will say, if the apostle Paul always struggled with this stuff, then of course, of course, the vastly inferior me will continue to struggle with this all for the rest of my life. So you have to understand that we're making a shift from then, what he used to think, what the struggle that he used to have when he was a slave to sin. And it's in contrast now where there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now the shift taking place into the end. It's Jesus who saves me from this. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Jesus. When did he do that? At the cross and his resurrection. <laughs> That's when he saved you from all of that. There's a transition Underfoot. And this brings us up to where Pastor Misty took us a couple of weeks ago into the things of the Spirit. Now we're required to to walk in the Spirit. You see the word there, Spirit? It's walk in the Holy Spirit. Remember, I just said to you that if you're born again this morning, you're not alone. You're walking with God and He's empowering you whether you feel it or not. 
How many of you know that we trust and engage with the scriptures and with God's heart and the reality that's presented to us by faith and our feelings don't sway that? My feelings don't determine to me what my reality is the word of God does. And the word of God tells me that I'm not alone even if my feelings are lying to me any given Sunday. Like, oh, I'm kind of feeling lonely. It's a lie. Call it out as a lie because Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit of promise was released to you the moment that you said yes. And that same Holy Spirit, the one who is God living on the inside of you, is walking with you, teaching you, and empowering you on purpose, into purpose. Well, how then do we walk in the Holy Spirit? You reset your minds. You reset your minds. A mind set, Pastor Misty talked to us about this, a mind set on the flesh is pointing all of your energy the wrong direction. <laughs> Why do I continue to get these results? Because your mind is set on the flesh, and when your mind is set on the flesh, you can't help yourself but to satisfy it. How many of you know what you focus on begins to grow? You ever been hungry? Or you had to go to the, you had to go to the bathroom? There's so many examples of this. What's the most you know, gruesome and crass example I could come up with? No, I'm teasing you. No, you have to go to the restroom. I've, I've, I've often been baffled because as, as a pastor, I think, what if I have to use the restroom in the middle of my, you know, my, my sermon? Have you ever thought about that? Like, has there ever been a pastor who, like, like what are you going to do? You're like, and amen, everybody, amen. Uh, excuse me, just for a second. You know, like, what are you going to do, right? You know, but isn't it interesting how when you put your mind to something, even when your body is screaming at you, 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 you don't even recognize it, right? So it's like, Oh, yeah, I did have to go to the restroom. Well, what happened? You set your mind on something else, and your flesh didn't even have an opportunity then. To, you didn't have an opportunity to entertain it. You weren't even thinking about it because your mind was set completely on something else. I could go out on my property. I work all through the summer. I'm out there working, and, you know, and, I'm, and I'm never hungry. I don't understand why. I'm focused on my task. But I'm not, for whatever reason, just like hunger is just not even a thing. Why? Because I have set my mind on the task that's at hand, and I'm not entertaining my flesh. This is what it looks like to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. When you set your minds on the things of the Spirit, hunger begins to stir on the inside of you. It begins to change your patterns of behavior. That moment that you miss a time with Him, there's hunger that stirs on the inside of you because you've created a new pattern of thinking. And, and, and the hunger that once was in your flesh is now transferred to the kingdom. It's transferred to the king. And now you're hungry for him. And the great news is this. Your nature is actually now redesigned by God, if you've said yes to him, to actually long for this. And so even in your design, even your design is now partnering with all of heaven to actually take you in a new direction that isn't gratifying your flesh, that isn't focused any longer on the hunger in that realm, but is now focused on the hunger in his realm. Does this make sense? This brings us up to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I really wanted to hit this just really quick. Some of you, as we've processed this sense in which it's like, Oh, if you've got your mind set on the flesh, like, man, you're, you're in trouble. If you're a Christian, you should have your mind set on the Spirit. I'd be surprised if there weren't some people who were 
maybe a bit discouraged by that. You're like, yeah, well, what, like, what is wrong with me? Like, what is the deal? And I, I come across this, this scripture in the same context. Listen to this. It says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, then he does not belong to him. What is he saying? He's saying, if you've gotten discouraged by this battle that you're in, if you're in the middle of this thing and, and, and somewhere in there you're like, I don't even know anymore. He's like, I'm now calling you back into your identity. I'm now calling you back into your day. Like, I don't know if I'm in the flesh or if I'm in the spirit. How do we identify that? He says, if you're saved, you're in the spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, you no longer identify with the old nature, that which used to bind you, that which used to enslave you to a certain way of thinking, to a certain way of behaving. Like That is no longer you. That is not you. you. Something has happened on the inside of you, something supernatural. There's a transaction that has happened, a shifting that's taken place on the inside of you, in your spirit. Your spirit has come alive, the Bible says. Hey, something has happened. That's not who you are anymore. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you are in the Spirit. Does that mean you're not going to have problems? No. It just means you have power over the problems. Does that mean it's going to be magic? No, it's not going to be magic. It just means he's equipped you with everything that you need to actually advance in a new direction. And everything on the inside of your design is now rewired to go that new direction. Like you have the power to actually say no to sin and go a new direction. You're no longer bound by those things. You're no longer a slave. You've been empowered by him. You've been set free by him. However, you, you are not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Why are you not in the flesh? Because you've crucified it. That's why. We jump to verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we are living according to the flesh, you must die. Now, brethren, you're not under obligation. Wait a second. I, I'm still remembering chapter 7 where the apostle Paul said that he does the things he doesn't want to do and doesn't do the things that he does want to do and he's in this perpetual state of quandary and battle with sin and his old nature. Like, what about all of that? Right, we've talked about it a thousand times. That was all pre-cross. It's all pre-cross. You can't, you can't latch onto that as an excuse for your sin. Boy, aren't we just looking for that sometimes? It, it's, it's my genetics or it's... What, you know, whatever it is, like we just, we latch, we have so many excuses, you know. Isn't there just a pill I can take to get better? Like your cholesterol is really high. There's a pill for that. You know what? You can continue to maintain the exact same behavior that you had before that got you into this mess, but now you've got this magic happy pill. <laughs> no, you need to change what you're eating, bro. There's no magic pill for the kingdom that says you can just continue to maintain the same behavior that you had before. It's all good. Just take this pill and everybody will be happy. It's just going to fix the problem. No, it doesn't fix the problem. There's no magic pill. <laughs> the magic pill is I've got to get after this thing. I've got to change the way I think. I've got to go after him. But listen, you're no longer under obligation. 
You have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Your nature has shifted. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. And he empowers you to have victory over every temptation that you will ever face from the first moment that you said yes to him. You are under no obligation to continue to sin. But look what it says here. This strikes me, this verse 13. He says, but if you are living according to the flesh, you've got to die. Remember what we said in verse 9. Let's rewind a little bit. And in, in, back in verse 9, it says, However, you are not in the flesh if you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. So in other words, if you've accepted Christ and you've received the promised Holy Spirit who's living on the inside of you, well, then you're not in the flesh. And then fast forward to verse 13. If you're living according to the flesh, you've got to die. What's he saying? He's saying you've got to get saved. If you're continuing to live according to the flesh, you don't know Jesus. Think about it just for a second. How do we get into the kingdom? We have to die. We have to die and then we are born again. This is the conversation with Nicodemus. Wait a second, I'm alive. How can I be born again a second time in my mother's womb, he says. This is the conversation. He said, no, 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 you have to die. You have to actually die, and then you are born again. Like, we have to go through the process of death and metamorphosis, or we're not saved. That is salvation. That's the process. That's how we get into the kingdom in the first place. And when we do that, listen carefully, when we do that, our motivations begin to shift. The way that we think begins to shift. Why? Because your old nature was crucified with him and your new nature was resurrected with him. You are not the same person that you were. Everything has shifted in your life and you're empowered to become something new. And so in your mind, you begin to say to yourself, I don't want to take those drugs anymore. I don't want to continue to sleep around outside of marriage. I don't, I don't, want, I don't, I don't feel right about that anymore. Well, what's happened? The, the, your DNA has been rewired by God. The divine nature of God is coming upon you. You are being shifted and metamorphosized into something entirely different. You are not what you were. If that shift hasn't happened, if you have uttered some words in your heart and you didn't have the transformation of your mind that says, I don't want to be what I was. I don't want to continue to do those things anymore. I don't want to continue to drink on the weekends. I don't want to be a hypocrite anymore. I don't want to go to those particular establishments anymore. I probably need to change some of my friends. I'm not saying that it's easy. I am just saying this, that your mind has to shift. And if your mind hasn't shift post-salvation, maybe you have reason to question that salvation because maybe you haven't actually died. And to get into this kingdom, you have to die. Over and over again, the Apostle Paul, he's calling us into, into identity. He's saying, well, then how do I even know? How do I know that I'm saved? Because the Holy Spirit of promise who is delivered to you at the moment of your first yes ignites something on the inside of you. And it cries out that you've been adopted as a son. And it cries out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Intimate Daddy God. <laughs> See, something shifted. <laughs> something changed. How do I know I'm saved? Because the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you testifies to the reality. Now, the enemy, he wants to come in and say, did God really? That's what he always does. Don't listen to him. He's, he's not real bright. 
You know, he doesn't get great results. Don't listen to that stuff. But if your mind never changed, if your mindset never changed, if you got in because you thought you needed fire insurance and you thought that you could continue to live a life of hell, you were deceived. If your heart motivations didn't shift when you said yes to him, then I question whether you received a new nature. Because the Bible I said says that my new nature is prone to righteousness, not prone to sin any longer. Can I sear my conscience as a Christian? Yeah, you can, but you better be, you better be fearful. I mean, the Bible admonishes us, don't fear man. What's man, what's man going to do? Man could just kill you, persecute you, whatever, whatever. That's not that big of a deal. No, fear God, who can both kill you and actually send you into an eternity in hell. Well, we're just talking about, you know, the awe of God and just respect and honor. Yeah, we're talking about those things. <laughs> we're talking about those things too, right? But we've done that to soften the blow of this reality. Sometimes we just need a heart check. Sometimes we just need to go, man, do I have a renewed nature? Or have I just simply said, I believe Jesus is real, but I've continued to live according to my old nature. And man, if that's you today, or if that's you online this morning, don't take it as condemnation. Take it before Holy Spirit and get in. See, because that's where the gift is free. You just have to say yes. He's longing for you to say yes. And just, it's just not with this. It's with spirit, soul, and body. It's the whole package. And, and it's with your yes. And what, like what he's longing for is the reciprocation that we talked about earlier. The sense in which you say yes, recognizing the gravity of what he paid for for you and recognizing the, the, like the cost of all of that and recognizing what's at stake in it and recognizing how infinitely valuable and worthy he is and letting your yes be unto utter and like, complete and utter transformation. Like, I want you, Jesus, at all cost. The question behind that is, do I really or does that scare the bejeebies out of me? If that question scares the bejeebies out of me, then I need to do some time before God and say, God, why? What is it that's stirring in my heart that causes me to be apprehensive and to reserve myself from you and not be all in? Because the last time I read, you said that if I'm either hot or cold, if I'm riding the fence, you're going to spit me out of your mouth. So Jesus, take everything in me that tries to set out anchors to drag me or even pull me back to what I was. Give God permission to cut loose all of the stuff that has tried to entangle you. And more than anything, the excuses that have held you back. Because we don't get excuses in the kingdom when he's given us absolutely everything that we need for life and godliness. When he's given you everything, what excuse do you have? <laughs> you know, it's like somebody hands me a million dollars and I say, but I can't pay my bills. Uh, what excuse do you got, bro? Like, I gotta, just handed you a million dollars. 
Jesus handed you a tremendous gift, and that gift provides for absolutely everything. We have no excuse in the kingdom. Is this making sense? Are we alive? Are we doing good? And this is the part where it requires something of me. Again, looking at the rest of verse 13, it starts and says, and if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. There's a challenge in that. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I want you to notice that this is post-cross now. Now that you're saved, you need to be putting to death the deeds of the body. So in other words, you have a responsibility to go after this stuff. Do you remember that Jesus was talking by analogy? He was like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck that thing out. I mean, just straight pluck that thing out. Nobody plucked their eye out. Somebody did that one day in a church service, by the way. <clears throat> Calm down, all right? Okay, like, it's just an analogy. Like, it's not literal. I said, you know, plug your eye. But he is saying to go after sin in your life, to go after the deeds and flesh of your life with everything that's on the inside of you. Would it be sacrificial to go through life without an eye, an arm, a leg, or whatever? It would, right? So he's saying, make the necessary sacrifice to go after this. By the way, you're not alone. I'm empowering you by my Holy Spirit, and I've given you a new nature. But, but, but point all of your guns towards this. Go after the deeds of the flesh. Well, but I, but I thought you said that, that we're, not, we're no longer wrestling with the old nature. No, no, listen. This is where people get crossed up. What is a nature? Remember, by definition, it's a certain preset uh, like propensity to act and or become a certain thing. Okay? We're not wrestling with against our, our, our old nature, we're wrestling with our new nature against sin. Let me say that again. I'm not wrestling my old nature because my old nature was crucified with Christ. What's a nature? It's a certain pre-written set of propensities that caused me to go a certain direction. In this case, pre-cross, that direction was towards sin. I've been crucified with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. That nature is dead. So my struggle this side of the cross is not with my old nature. It's with my new nature against sin. Now that should make somebody real happy today. Because that means that if you're still struggling today, God has actually already paid for the victory. And you can walk out of here today because power is present for your release from captivity right now. It means that you are no longer, we say it over and over, the scripture is so full of this. Keep reading it. Go through Galatians and Ephesians. It's all throughout all of it. Once your eyes are open, all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, the apostle Paul continually says, if you're living like this, get saved. You gotta die. But that's not who you are if the spirit of God's on the inside of you and he's calling you to identity, calling you to identity. Around here we say, we're digging for gold. That's not who you are, Toby. That's not who you are. No, man, I see greatness in you. I see an amazing father, not that he's demonstrated otherwise. I see an amazing father in you. I see somebody with tremendous work ethic. I see somebody who has tremendous discipline. You know, I see somebody who's never going to fall off the rails again. You know, I see somebody who loves fiercely and who's loved fiercely. Like, that's what I see in you. That's who you are. I'm just going to call you to that, brother. Man, when you said that to that other person, that's not who you are. I'm making something up, but the other was real. 
That's not who you are. This is digging for gold, right? This is what we do in the kingdom, and that's what the Apostle Paul has modeled to us. Hey, you who are living like that, you've been set free by Christ. You're no longer a slave to that stuff. He says to him, like, this is not the gospel that you learned from me. <laughs> you've been bewitched. You've been doomed. Like, this is, that's not the lie. That's not what you learned from me. You've been set free. That whole struggle that I was talking about in Romans 7, that was pre-cross. You're post-cross. You're post-Romans 8. But now, now there's no condemnation. You're post-Romans 7. You're post-cross. You're, you're post-empowerment. That's not who you are anymore. Don't just slip into that. So don't let the enemy confuse you or tempt you. You know what that road leads down. You've been down there before. It didn't produce very good fruit. And you know in your heart of hearts, this is the right way. Now you walk in it because he's given you power. What's that mean? It means you've got to have people around you in your life who can speak into you like that. So that when they say, that's not who you are, you don't just get offended, blister, and throw, you know, throw a big old wall up and be like, well. No, but when they say, that's not who you are, you're this, you can go, yes, I feel God on that. Like, yes, you're right. And it can ignite something on the inside of you. How many of you know you need people in your life? You need community. It's an absolute necessity of the church. It's why God says, do not assemble together. And it's why the enemy is so strongly coming after this generation and this culture in America right now to squash it. No, it's okay. Just go to church on the internet. No, it's not okay. That's not church. Why is that not church? Because the Bible admonishes me not to forsake assembling together. Why? Because I need somebody to speak in my life like that. Don't let the enemy deceive you. There are lots of things out there right now that are being perpetuated. New mantra for the churches. It's okay, pastors. You just need to embrace online church. It's a reality. It's going to stay here forever. God help us. If all hell was breaking loose, and missiles were dropping down, they were persecuting Christians like crazy, I don't go to the internet. I go to the underground. This is why it's so important to be involved in our Destiny Group program. Why? Because if they shut down this, they can't shut down that. Just a thought. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How many of you know You've got to be led by Holy Spirit in everything that you do. I had more I was going to say about that, but I won't. If you're in here this morning, man, you know you're saved. Holy Spirit's testifying to you. Yep, you're a son, you're a daughter. But you've also gotten caught up in stuff. And you didn't, you've, like you've gotten hopeless. You've You've believed a lie that you can't escape it. It's old patterns, maybe they've crept in, you know, whatever it is. I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to set you free. That he's paid a price to set you free. And he's giving you an opportunity. Why don't you go ahead and come, Mariel? <clears throat> he's giving you an opportunity this morning to really draw a line in the sand. He's already done everything he needs to do on his side. You know, and now he's saying, Cross that line and don't look back. There's power available for you to be set free this morning.
But here's the problem. When you're 800 pounds and you're looking at the treadmill, it seems like a mountain that's too hard to climb. And if you're looking at being, you know, Rob, handsome Rob, you know, and you're 800 pounds, that is a mountain that's too hard to climb at this moment. But this is your homework for this week. If you've gotten caught in stuff again, I want you to ponder before the Lord, what is just one thing? What is one behavior that I can change in my life that will set me on a course to get different results than what I've gotten before? What is one change? Remember Pastor Brian talked to us last week about this. If I woke up in the morning and decided, you know, I'm gonna do a, mar- I'm gonna do a marathon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stink and run a 50K. I don't know what those are, K, uh, kilometers. They need to change that stuff up. This is America, you know? But it's, it's, not, it's not gonna happen, right? That's what he, that's what he talked to us about. Like, it, it, but, but maybe, just maybe, maybe I'm just chronically dehydrated and there's no way that I'm ever gonna run a 50K. Is that a thing? There's no way that I'm ever gonna do that. I, say, I see a five out there, a 5K. There's no way that I'm ever gonna be able to do that unless I'm hydrated. Okay, great, good. Now you've found your one thing. So get you a little water app on your phone. This, you understand this is the analogy, right? Get you a little water app on your phone that goes off every hour that dings you and says, hey dummy, you're creating new patterns of behavior. You need to drink water. And you know what? Focus on that one thing. Yeah, but that doesn't get me to the marathon, but you can't get there without it. This is your one thing. Just get yourself hydrated. And when that's become a part of your lifestyle, well, then we'll talk about the next thing. You you don't get the handsome Rob by dreaming about it. You you get the handsome Rob by being intentional to do one small step and continuing to do one small step until it changes your mind. Are you willing to take one small step this week to change your mind? Father, we just acknowledge this morning that you have given us everything that we need to be able to change our mind. And we know that if we're going to make that journey, that that's exactly what we got to do. I'm asking by your spirit this week that you would reveal to us just one small thing that we can do no matter where we're at in the race. One small behavioral shift that will lead us into several small behavioral shifts until we have what you have designed for us to have and designed for us to be. Now, if you're with us this morning and and maybe you fall in a a slightly different category, maybe you're with us this morning and you're going, you know, I don't... I, I heard what you said about the, the shifting of your mind, that your desires change because your nature changes, and I don't think I have ever had that. I think I'm still a slave to my sin. We want to give you an opportunity, and so it's kind of a maybe a churchy thing to do, but I think it's effective. Why don't we just bow your heads? We don't want to make a spectacle of anybody, but if, if you find yourself in that category this morning, and you're like, no, I, I, need, to, I need to make the plunge. I need to step in. I, I need to be all in. I need to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want my nature to shift because I've been a slave to sin, and I want what you're talking about. I want empowerment over those things that have entangled me. If you just raise your hand, we want to partner with you in prayer. I'm not going to invite you forward necessarily at this moment, you know, but, but who, uh, Joe and Paul 
and Greg, can you please monitor hands for me, please, and then address those folks, please? Would there be anybody else? And I, I see your hand. I hope they see your hand as well. And anybody else? You want to take the plunge this morning? You see, I see a hand back there as well, guys. I hope you see that. We just, you guys just grab those folks, talk with them just a little bit, and then we can introduce them to the prayer ministry team if you like afterwards. Would there be anybody else this morning where you're going, I want to take the plunge. I, I'm tired of being entangled in sin. My nature hasn't shifted. I want that. I want what you're talking about. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I get it. This is life, and I want life. I want life in abundance. I want Jesus. Anybody else? I would say this to you right now, even if you're teetering on the fence, and you're like, I, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about, but something on the inside of me is stirring. I want to submit to you that something on the inside of you is Father God drawing you to himself. Don't leave here in confusion. Come talk to our prayer ministry team and get that confusion ironed out just a little bit. Ask them the questions that are burning on your heart. One last shot, I just want to give it to you. Is there anybody else today? Awesome. Father, we thank you for those who have raised their hand this morning. Would you touch them, Jesus? And corporately, we give our hearts to you. You're everything to us. You're worth it to us. You're worthy of the denial of our flesh. You're worthy of the pursuit of killing and bringing to destruction the deeds of our flesh. You're worthy of it all, Jesus. We don't just sing it. We don't just say it. We are activating something in our spirits today. We will pursue you with fervor all the days of our life. In Jesus' mighty name. Go ahead, John. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.